Okay then, and welcome to another episode of the Ignite Your Mind podcast with myself, Sanjay Patel. I hope you guys are doing well. And this week, again, I've got another special guest to tell his heroic story. He's doing some cool stuff at the moment, some stuff that's really out of out of people's comfort zones and, you know, just generally seeking a lot of discomfort, it looks like. But um, that's all good. That's what it's all about, right? Because that's where miracles occur. So, without further ado, Rich, mate, how are you doing? Yo, yo, how are we doing? Good, good. No, thank you for jumping on, mate. I uh, appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, let's, let's just dig straight into it. Um, well, first of all, we, well, just, just on a quick note, we met in Ibiza, didn't we? What was it? I think it was like four, five years ago now? I don't even think it was that long ago, mate. Really? <laughs> oh, no, don't say that. I've lost a year already, Jim. It feels it. I don't know. I can't have been four. Maybe. You might be right, you know. God, time's flying, isn't it? I don't know. Anyway, um, so yeah, that was kind of the first time we met, and our, our good friend Nicholas, our old, old Nicky, Nicky Burry. Um, yeah. it, was a, it was a really good trip, actually, for a number yeah. of reasons. I needed it at the time. Um, and I guess we'll come on to sort of where I'm at now, but I do remember... Uh, we were on very, very different waves on that trip. You were quite chilled and having a good time. And I remember being, um, yeah, I mean, I was really going for it, wasn't I? So, <laughs> well, I don't know if I was chilled on the first night. I think I was. I mean, I, I'm, like, I'm an excitable little little character. I like when I'm first, that was the first time in Ibiza, and obviously I'm massively into music. So I was just like, overload of of adrenaline um, and it just completely ruined me didn't it but anyway that, maybe that's why I was, I was doing you a credit then mate you could have said yeah I had loads of self-control and I had a really nah, really, nah. really you just went hard one night and ruined yourself basically yeah <laughs> it's just the standard stupid things you do anyway um we'll talk about that later but yeah no so Rich um take us back take us back to when you were growing up as a kid uh what were you like or what you can remember you were like well um it's this question is a lot easier to answer having had oh, like two or three years worth of counselling. I mean, anyone knows that if you go down the counselling route and you speak to someone about life or how you're feeling, um, mm. there will always be an element of that conversation that sort of harks back to when you were a child. So yeah. I'm able to articulate this answer quite well now, but if you'd have asked me this probably three or four years ago, uh, I wouldn't have been able to give you much. Really? So, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's only on reflection that I understand some of the um, the mental health challenges that I had and do have still. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, as a child, I was uh, sort of borderline ADHD, and I only found that out um, sort of later in life when uh, when I had really, really bad depression. I was really going through some stuff, um, and my mum sort of brought it up and mentioned that when I was a kid, I was tested. Um, and I was right on the borderline and back in those days you didn't really sort of push someone and give someone a label um, for the yeah. obvious reasons and so I was told that I just might have had a bit of energy and I was a bit excitable but really um, you know I was super excitable uh, I had absolutely no attention span whatsoever if you were to ask a teacher what I was like in pretty much every year of school it was intelligent guy should do better than he does uh, won't pay attention, can't focus. Um, yeah. And that sort of label sort of carried through. And and so I would say that definitely as a child, I was extremely frustrated. I didn't understand why I was the way I was. I didn't understand why I couldn't just sit amongst my classmates and do work. What I, age were we talking when you were like that? Well, it was from a, quite a young age because anyone who has experience of ADHD and ADHD kids what you'll uh, sort of see is that the younger they are, the more sort of reckless they are. And ADHD, in a, in a weird sort of way, calms down the older you get. So as a kid, yeah. young kid, five, six you know, years old, I was crazy. Um, and then that behaviour sort of heading into sort of to 10, 12, 13, 14 into my teens sort of manifested in... Um, I think I had like a, a mask on, so I was the class sort of clown I was quite naughty yeah um and yeah. you know that was I, I almost there were times when I would almost deliberately get into trouble to just put me out the pain you know so mm. I knew that I wasn't going to sit there for an entire lesson and listen to this crap so how about I just get myself sent out and I make people laugh and then that masks what's really going on um I wasn't aware of that at the time but now I look no. back on it I was really really struggling so I'd say that my childhood was 
a really good one from a family perspective. I had a great family, sisters, mum and dad, you know, really, really close, looked after well, never wanted for anything. Mm -hmm. But then on the inside, I was extremely frustrated and didn't really understand myself and sort of never really felt comfortable. Yeah. Were you into sports and stuff back then? Yeah, yeah, I was into sports. Couldn't stop. Yeah, so I was, I was, um, I mean, I, I was, Again, I look back on this now, I was, I was extremely good at football and, you know, I played for, I had stints playing for sort of Reading Academy and Fulham and I played mm. for County and I was always sort of on, on this sort of the perimeter of that and uh, loved football, absolutely obsessed with it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, the older I got, the more I got distracted by other things and then, yeah, before long, football was a thing of the past and uh, I'm moving on. Do you think like at that point that was like an antidote to like what was going on for you a little bit? Because obviously now when you do fitness, it's like, it's a game changer, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, the, the fact of the matter is, I, um, again, now I know, at the time I didn't, yeah. but football was my absolute release. And so I became obsessed with it. And that's all I ever did, all I ever spoke about, all I ever thought about. And I always found that I was most comfortable when I was doing some sort of exercise, when I was um, sort of pushing my physical um, yeah. then gave my mental a break um, yeah. and that's something that's carried on through life and something that I do to this day is I, I know when I'm training regularly um, I'm in a much more content happy place nice nice like that all right so talk us through when you were getting into your uh, sort of later teens like 16 17 into sort of early adulthood um, what, what were you doing then and so were you like did you go to school university or anything like that no, so um, I easily could have gone to university, as I say, like I had a, I had a brain on me, mm. um, but I, I didn't um, utilise it very well. Well, I didn't know how to, I didn't, un, un, I, I couldn't focus, I couldn't get the yeah. most out of myself at that time. And I was a little bit mis misunderstood by teachers um, and misunderstood by myself. And so the sooner I could get out of education, the better. Um, I passed my driving test at uh, 17. Um, but sort of around that time, I really found alcohol. Um, I mean, no, nothing crazier than any other kid. Yeah, as you do like a 15, 16 year old, you start You're, getting Yeah, into... I mean, it's, it's all about yeah. what can we do on the weekend? Let's get pissed. Let's have yeah. some fun. Um, I, I was always quite reckless with drinking. So I was always the one who would be, um, you know, unconscious by 11 o'clock while everyone else yeah and it was it was i would take it to the extreme um and so i was doing that really really regularly and i passed my driving test and two months later uh, i made the most stupid decision in the world to uh, go out for a drive while in mid party to, sh to show someone my car i was at the time well they don't know uh, for sure but when i was breathalyzed i was uh, four and a half times over the limit I was driving down country oh, roads. My mate had sort of egged me on to show him the car, so I took him. We went for a drive. God knows how I got back from that drive. Um, and I dropped him off. And I decided I'd go back out. And so I went back out again. And this just goes to show the sort of mind state I was in. Um, uh, went around a, a country road. The next thing I know, I'm unconscious, in a, upside down in a ditch, um, trapped in a car that's filling with smoke and my legs are on fire and i've basically rolled my car and and, and smashed it and uh, i'm trapped and so you know life before you flashing before your eyes i've never been so nervous in my entire life i was absolutely petrified um in the end the fire engines had to come they cut me out um i was arrested on the spot uh and yeah I, that was that was the end of any thoughts that i was going were to were you all right though you didn't have any, uh, like you were upside I, down, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, uh, so um, when I, I ended up having to go to court and when I was in court, they said that the, um, I was, the only reason I'm alive is because my car had an airbag. Now this is at a time where a lot of cars wouldn't have had an airbag. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we're talking, I mean, don't know when it was, 2000, early 2000s and yeah. you know, people had Peugeot 106s and things yeah, like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I wouldn't have been alive without, without the airbag. And they said categorically, had my mate still been in the car, he'd be dead. And that was yeah. just the biggest wake up call ever. And so, um, yeah, that was, I mean, my mum and dad were on holiday at the time. They had to be called, you know, I'm staying with my girlfriend, now wife's parents, they were having to look after me. Like it was just a total 
quite literally a total car crash. And um, yeah, so so that that then sort of spurred me on to sort of look at life a little bit. And I um, I I sort of made the decision then that going to uni wouldn't have been for me. I'd have made the wrong decisions almost certainly. I was still yeah. making them, and so I uh, went into sales and I became uh, an estate agent. Yeah. I mean, look, there's, it's interesting to hear you say all that, like when you, when you talk about it now and those situations, and then you look back now, like obviously we know, like we're older, we, we realize how stupid some of the decisions was, but those decisions, if you think about a certain situation that if you see a group of people, a group of friends that are young and you see that one standout character, you kind of know now, or you can, you can kind of gauge what they're actually going through. And it's, not the surface level stuff. They're actually going through some deeper inner shit, right? Oh, really? Yeah. And at the time, I never would have known. Of course, you can't know. It was a front, and um, I was playing up, and I was looking for reaction, and I was, you yeah. know, and yeah. But really, now looking back on it, it was just a mask because I was an extremely confused individual. Didn't understand why I wasn't like other people with certain things, yeah. uh, and then it manifests in sort of bad behaviour and extremism, uh, and that's still something that happens to me now but I'm just much more self-aware of it. Yeah. And so I know when it's happening and I can control it better. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see that happening now? Like not for you, but like to other people, like your sort of age range or your sort of age group? Um, I, yeah. Again, I'm quite self-aware of this stuff. I don't, I don't necessarily see the, a, the, the ADHD thing. Uh, mm. I'm a big one for calling out mental health and I know when someone's, you know, got, got a bad energy or when, you know, I've got yeah. friends, if they walk into the room, I know what's going on. You know, I know when people are anxious. Uh, I, I run, I run a, I'm a head of marketing. I've got a team of people. We went into lockdown and um, I jumped on a call with Jodie. She won't mind me saying this. She's what uh, she was in the States. Mm -hmm. uh, she's in Austin and she jumped on the call and I took one look at her face before she even opened anything and I was like whoa you need you need mm. some time off <laughs> so and, right. and as it happened she was really struggling she's in isolation um she hasn't seen I think she went 60 days without seeing another human being bloody hell yeah I mean nuts this and, is another uh, story altogether isn't oh, it? how yeah. bad it's got but um yeah yeah but, but the point being is i can i'm sort of quite aware of it and so i, I see it and i have this like, probably quite like yourself i have this massive urge to just help people mm. that 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 with fitness they're the two things is push push my body hard and um i almost feel like it's selfish sometimes even though i know it's not it's selfish being selfless but yeah. you know helping people helps me and so yeah. you know I, I spot it and I'm, I'm always wanting to do something about it and she's fine now and, and we, we go through it and, and there's plenty of other stories like that so yeah, yeah i definitely look at other people's mental health and i'm very aware of when someone's suffering or going through something and i'm always there to make sure that i help out yeah no nice yeah I, I think you're so right like especially when you if you've experienced a situation either yourself or someone else that's close to you going through it you can just automatically for the rest of your life you're going to be able to pick up because it's such a, a such an impactful thing isn't it it's not just a small thing this is no. one of the biggest things in the world like it's, it needs to be taken seriously but i don't think it's still i don't think it still isn't still not taken too seriously it's getting much better I it's mean, getting much better 100 percent. there's a lot more awareness about it but there's still not enough there's nowhere near enough and it no. still is it still is i i still have today some conversations with people and they still think it's a little bit taboo and they don't want to speak about it i don't think it's that they don't want to speak about it. it's this they're they're scared that they might slip into some category which they think actually i might need to work on this mm -hmm. that's the point because if yeah. you don't work on it it can hit you at any point yeah. speaking to some guy who was 55 years old never had any mental health symptoms conditions illnesses anything then all of a sudden bang got hit down with anxiety and depression couldn't get out of bed all of a sudden he was he was scared because he didn't know what was going on but because he you know he's an older guy like fair enough but he didn't understand it and he was all of a sudden made very aware. He's fine now, but he was all of a sudden made very aware. And I'm just saying to people that it can hit you at any point. So you need to look after yourself. Yeah, 100%. I've, I've, I mean, I've seen that as well. I've seen people mm. come, come down with stuff out of nowhere. And, you know, the mind's a, a, a crazy thing and we don't really understand it. And I think you have to treat the mind in the same way that you treat your body you know yeah and you, you you know you work at your body you work at your fitness you want to yeah. look healthy you want to be sort of slim and in shape and feel good um, but no one really works on their mind and um mm. 
yes yeah, super important certainly for people like me yeah no definitely all right cool so uh we've sort of lost place now now we went off a little bit so talk us through yes yeah, so you're head of marketing now um wow. so talk about talk a little bit about your career and how that's impacted you mentally uh, along your sort of journey Okay, cool. So um, next phase of that journey, which is quite a nice segue, actually. So the next phase of that journey was I was an estate agent. So I'd say I, I'm, my career is probably split into two. The first mm. half being my younger years, I was out and out sales. Um, and I worked in some of the environments that you would really, some of the most cliche stereotypical sales environments you can think of um i had a really bad period in life when i was an estate agent um we're not talking estate agents nowadays i know that you're you're just getting into that into that mm. uh, field and you're doing a, an amazing job of doing it very very differently but we're talking here about the bring in a load of white boys as young as possible yeah work them i mean we work seven days a week we work from eight till seven every single day um we had one weekend a day off every two weeks yeah. um and we were paid peanuts um and it was a really really crazy atmosphere they worked us to the bone but then they sort of almost paid us with beer it was like everything was a social everything was a an award yeah. you know and and so um i got in a really 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 bad spot and that's probably where i i encountered my mental health um poor mental health for the first time was just the relentlessness of going out drinking being wrapped up in everything around that um mm. and just sort of burning myself out and i got to the point after about four or five years of doing it um I, I remember vividly um again at the time this isn't when mental health was spoken about but i remember walking into the office and just bursting into tears in front of my manager and just i just could not do it anymore and just walking out and phoning my mum and saying I, I i can't do this anymore i remember her distinctly just saying leave like nothing nothing is working worth it. like this yeah. um and at the time i just put that down to probably my own weakness a little bit that's how i felt i felt like i was weak well, in that environment, environment i would assume, I assume you probably would yeah and and you, you know you're surrounded by people who are as the one of the stories of my life is i'm surrounded by people who are doing things i can't that mm. doesn't necessarily mean they're doing positive things it actually normally means they're doing negative things so people who can drink all weekend long but wake up on a monday and function normally you know something i've never been able to do but, but i know plenty of people who can but in that environment it was really it was you know, everything was amplified everything was extreme and so yeah i really really struggled really really struggled there um and in the end i got to the point where i walked away and i had nothing to walk to so that's how how sort of bad it got i i had bills i had outgoings but you know option one is to risk not being able to pay for stuff and not being able to live. Option two is to stay in the environment. So that's how bad it how bad it got. Mate, I mean, it's just <laughs> you. Uh, yeah, you just touched on something. Like, unfortunately, that still happens today, um, yeah. in a big way. And it's 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 a real shit situation. It's really really shit. And it's just not how we're not in that world anymore. We're moving on from that world. Like you know. Anyway. Um, yeah. So then what happened? Then you went into another role. Well, so, actually talk me through actually what happened like when you, when you left there, obviously you walked out, but what, what happened then? Yeah. So there are, I, I say, I think there are three things that have happened to me in my life that have, you know, you know, the, the term make or break. So there are three things um, that have happened in my life that have made me mm -hmm. and all of them were negative. So one was me crashing my car at a young age. I truly, truly, truly believe if I hadn't have crashed that car, I'd be dead. Mm -hmm. um, just the way I was going and the stuff that I was doing. Yeah. Um, the second was this, was me reaching a point where I had to just walk away from everything. Yeah. Uh, and the third will we'll probably come on to. So, um, so yeah, so I, so I left and I had nothing to go to. And luckily at the time I had a friend who ran, ran his own, um, I guess digital marketing company and he sort of said look he could see that I was in a bad way and he basically just said look come work for me for a bit you know and I was very very lucky I'm sure I'd have found something but I I'm almost positive that the thing I would have found would have been sales and would have been the same problem 
Yeah. And um, so anyway, so I, I, I went and worked for him for a while. I realized that I, I had a real um, sort of passion for, for marketing or being creative. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really fun. It was a total break for the norm. And we were um, running marketing campaigns. We were building the websites and I was sort of really aggressively learning on the trade, but on the spot, you know, most of the time I didn't really know what I was doing, but you know, you learn quick um, and fast forward a year. Uh, I sort of thanked him and I went and sat up, sat up by myself. And so I, um, I started to, I, I started my own small little digital marketing company. Um, again, ri another risk because I had outgoings and mm. at this point I was, you know, I think, I think we were just about to buy a house. Um, but I could see a gap in the market for me to be able to continue doing what I was doing, but do it for myself. And so I did. Um, and a couple of years went by and some great, times I picked up some great clients and I was really self-sufficient and I worked my own hours and I was super happy doing it um, and that was a real real success for me and eventually a really big digital agency came along and they I what would have actually happened is I'd beaten them on a pitch so you're talking about an agency I think at the time they were the top um, top under 100 person digital agency in the country nice. with clients like ITV and PlayStation. Yeah. And I was literally sitting in a study on my own employing no one. Uh, and I pitched against them on one and they wanted to know who it was. Uh, long story short, they asked me if I'd come and work for them and made it really, really compelling. And, you know, it was sort of a, at the moment I'm working with really small businesses and enjoying it but only going so far yeah uh, within a week I was sitting in PlayStation's boardroom and talking mm. creative ideas and so again it was a really good decision to put my ego to the side go back into employment but really ex sort of expand my uh, my experience and my knowledge base and so yeah I had uh, four or five really really amazing years uh, at that place and sort of worked with some of the biggest brands and traveled the world and it was a, a really really good decision but by then I'm then firmly into the marketing camp which is sort of the second half of my career mm. so it's by chance really you know yeah. I, I didn't one day say do you know what I want to get into marketing someone offered me an opportunity and I took it and I never looked back well this is the thing I know this sounds cliche but everything does happen for a reason if you didn't do that pitch to that certain person you wouldn't have got asked to do that job and then you wouldn't have got employed and you wouldn't have made that decision. But then if you didn't do that, you wouldn't have, if you didn't make the decision to actually start running your own business, you would, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a spiral effect, isn't it? It's a snowball. It is. You just got to, you just got to do what you think is right. And, exactly. um, you know, I've, I've always been really dubious of people, people who say that they, who have this really clear pathway that they've mapped out in life and they know exactly mm -hmm. what they're going to doing in a weird way. I'm envious because I'm just not that organized. That's like the ADHD in me, the thought of writing out a plan and then just executing yeah. it is a real challenge for me. So I've always got by on like intuition and, and just making good off, not, not always, but good decisions. And it's sort of, it's served me well. Literally. I was about to say that I've learned now to always follow my intuition just yeah. listen to that because generally speaking, that's what you, everyone's different. It's what you want to do as a person. It's your decisions, what you want to do, not everyone else's. When you were saying about everyone's got, got their map, their life mapped out or, you know, they've got a clear path. I was one of those people. I thought I had it all mapped out. I thought I had a clear path. My God, how wrong was I? Like, but uh. the thing is, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, if I didn't start making different decisions and I probably wouldn't have realized that. And that's, that's the beauty of it. And now I just embrace it. Because it's a, it's a it's a journey. It's like unpredictable, and I've learned to love the unknown and like what what can happen, right? And what what can potentially happen if you put yourself out there. Um, what about your your mental health side of it? Like when you were working in quite a you know good good position of employment. Um, now you've got a team. Like for those four years, like what what was your mental health doing? Were you in a good place? Um. <sighs> Because this again, Rich, this is quite taboo, mate. Like not many, not many people speak about this. That are in good positions, look on the face of it that they're doing really well, but really underneath they might not be. Who knows, right? My my stint in the uh, digital agency was um, the the third thing in my life that that I sort of that made or break broke me. Um, so. I mean, this is a long story, so I'll try not to make it too long. So while, uh, so yeah, I had, a, I, had a, I had quite a high pressure job towards the end of that. So I was the sort of sales and marketing director. Um, my, ultimately, my main role within that business at the time was pitching. 
So anyone who's, uh, who's ever done pitching will know that it's an extremely, well, I always found it an extremely stressful mm. um, process. Uh, and, um, and, and that stress came from myself. So I put myself under huge, huge pressure. I had a real fear of failure. I still have a fear of failure, but back then it was extreme to the point where it was detrimental to my mental health. So I, yeah. I could not bear the thought of me pitching to someone and them saying no, and me having to come back to the office and tell people that I'd lost something. That to me was just my worst nightmare. And so what, what happened was I put myself through a really unhealthy process of just absorbing myself in the weeks leading up to a pitch and just draining everything I had, giving it everything. I'd over pitch. If, if, if we were, uh, you know, if the average person presents a pitch document that was 20 pages, mine would be 60. I'd cover everything like, and, and because of that, I won so many of them, but it wasn't good for me. Um, that, so, so, so I'm in a high pressure environment, good company and a good culture, but I'm really, really giving myself a hard time. Can I just and then, pause you for a second? Just yeah. at this moment when you're at this point, did you not, uh, or did, were you reflecting back to sort of situations that had, had happened and sort of marrying them up with what was going on now, like how you started feeling and stuff, or were you just like, no, go, 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 uh, in the role? Um, I think, I think I had a bit of imposter syndrome is probably the best way to, to okay. I didn't believe that I was good enough to be doing the job I was doing. So mm-hmm. I was worried that, um, when I did lose and I did now and again, um, that people would judge me and not believe I was good enough to do the job that I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it only takes a couple of, of times for you to get it wrong or, and you, and you've suddenly got that, yeah. um, you got great, you know, you, you're really, really worried and you're anxious about what's to come rather than just, I'm not very good at putting things to the side, forgetting about them and moving on. Like they, the, the shit lingers. Yeah. So, um, so that's how I was feeling. So I've got this really high pressure environment that I'm working in and I'm giving myself a real hard time. I'm, I'm not giving myself any breaks whatsoever. Don't believe I'm good enough. Um, people would laugh at me about the way my self-talk. So I, I was, you know, they would, they would, I would t- talk to them about how I'm performing or some of the stuff that I'm doing. And they would be like, what are you on about? And I would distinctly remember it, that they, 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 would, they weren't seeing the same picture as me. They were seeing this positive, amazing um, sort of person do, doing great things within a company, and all I can see are the negatives. I don't, I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think it's great. So that's the sort of the internal dialogue I've got going on. Yeah. Um, but I'm still performing, but it's taking everything mentally to do so. At the same time, um, my wife and I. So we uh, we were only married probably three or four years, I think, but we've been together since we were sixteen. Um, we split up. So. Um, various reasons but I would probably now again reflecting back put the majority of them down to just my crazy mental health at the time mm-hmm. um, we weren't getting on we had a three-year-old and a six-month-old so we had two young kids it was an extremely difficult time and um, we split up and so if you think about the, the type of sort of pressure that you've got inside the the office I've now more than doubled that outside as well because I'm living on my own for the first time so I had to go and get an apartment I'd never lived alone ever would be it was either parents and then straight into someone with with Lisa so I'm living by myself um half of my time I've got two well I've got a baby and a three-year-old um so I'm a single parent Mm -hmm. and crazy things like I don't know how to use a washing machine because I've never used one uh, and, and I'm not massively great at cleaning the apartment. So it's an absolute dump and just all of this stuff. And it's just mounting and mounting and mounting and mounting. And the final thing I threw in the mix was the weekends that I didn't have the kids. I was just caning it all weekend mm-hmm. because it was almost like I lived a life of, it was a double life. It was one weekend. I was families and seeing my family and going out and doing really amazing things with the kids and spending time with them. And then suddenly I'm, I'm single. And so I'm going out and I'm absolutely caning it. And so um, that was just the melting pot of, of, for me, of destruction. And I just totally broke down mentally. So had the worst mental health. I was going into work crying most days. Sometimes I would drive into the car park of um, the agency that I worked and I would drive in the entrance and then drive out the exit again and go home and sit because I just 
could bear the thought of walking into the office. Um, my anxiety was at times so horrendous that, I mean, I can give you a couple of stories. Uh, they used to do birth, when, when it was someone's birthday, they'd bring over a birthday cake, put Stevie Wonder on the Sonos, and everyone's sitting back they around the person's desk. Um, yeah. I mean, that's most people's worst nightmare, to be honest. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I was about so to say, yeah, it doesn't sound fun at all. It's not ideal. So the person I'm sat next to, it's their birthday and everyone crowds round and I'm sat there and I'm not feeling great and I'm having a, probably a crappy conversation over text and um, and I just, I, I, I had the worst panic attack and I could not be around all these people that were close to me and I've walked out into the, into the corridor, burst into tears and I just had to walk into my car and go home. Yeah. Now, the pressure of that is extreme when you already don't think you're good enough to do your job. You already think people are judging you. And now what you're having to admit is that you're not um, sort of sound mind. So, so mm -hmm. you now you definitely can't do your job and it's, it's this just perpetual sort of fear. Um, so yeah, so that was, that was a, a really, really bad time. And I guess the, the, the time that basically that there was a 24 hour period where it, it came to a head I was going to pitch to a big brand and my team were already there and I was half an hour late and I'm driving in my car along this really fast road, trees either side. As I'm driving along, I'm, um, a thought just came into my head that I would, I just remember vividly thinking, I might have even said it out loud, but I definitely thought it, I would do anything to drive my car into one of those trees, anything. Like I just wanted to die, hands down. It, I was, I could not cope with how I was feeling anymore. I didn't, I didn't see any possible way of making it feel better and making me feel better. It was, I was done. And it was a, such a strong feeling. And so I pulled over on the side of this busy road and I got out of my car and I was sick. I just puked, like just, it, that's how intense the feelings were. Um, and I sort of sat there for a while on the sort of feet out of the car, just getting some fresh air. Um, and it was just the lowest of low times. And I'm on the way to a pitch, but silly old rich, I don't cancel. I get in my car, do the 20 minutes, get over there, meet the team. And we go in and we pitch to this brand. And of course, I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, right. and so anyway, so we did this hour and a half long presentation. After all of this? After the, uh, and no one knew. And so, and, and because I was, what, what I was brilliant at was hiding it. Yeah. I, at this point, I have told no one in the world how I'm feeling. And this has been going on for about two months. So no one knows. Um, I mean, you know, I'm sure people were slightly concerned sometimes and I was definitely more distant. People weren't stupid, but no one knew. I hadn't spoken about it. No one knew uh, the extent of, of no. what you were going through. Yeah. No. And so I've gone in there, we've done the pitch. And to this day, I don't know how, but we won it. <laughs> and, um, and I've told the team that I pitched with after this, uh, about what happened and they're still incredulous like they don't understand how that's possible like, that's uh, madness that it is awesome. madness and so we we won it uh, i drove home i remember because i got home at about 4 30 i'm not a good one for sleep i don't like sleeping in or going for naps or anything like i'm too fucking hyper anyway got got in 4 30 i remember laying down on my bed um, and the next thing I know, I open my eyes and it's eight o'clock the following morning. So I've yeah. done like a stim and I just was absolutely, um, fucked. Like I'm like just exhausted just from the, 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 I guess the activity in my brain. Um, and it culminated in me waking up and I had, I got a bottle of vodka because that was just weirdly the nearest thing to me. A load of pills. I sort of got them all out on my bed and I was sat on the edge of the bed. And I was like, this is it. Like, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm bawling. I'm crying my eyes out. And, you know, to this day, I don't really know. I, I, this is how crazy my brain can be. I, I even give myself grief for not killing myself. I'm like, I, I feel like I bottled it, which is crazy. I know how crazy that sounds. But I didn't, I feel like I didn't have the guts to do it. But what I did was I had it all laid out. I was crying. I, I had the intent was there. I sent a message to my dad and I was just like, I told him where I was at, what I was doing. Um, and he did the 10 minute journey to my house in about five and he came through the front door. Um, and that was sort of like the beginning of really the process of getting better. And I went and stayed with them for a while and they realized just how, how bad I was. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's the, that's the story of that place. And weirdly enough, I still have such fond memories of working there, but it was just always clouded by this stuff that was going on. Crazy, right? Crazy. But I, do you know what I'm, I'm observing? Like the, the journey from childhood going through what you went through, then early teens, then into early, early work phases, going through these situations, the car incident, then, you know, working in the next job and just beating yourself down and still wanting to be on the top of your game. Like, you know, it sounds like, yeah, you've been through some massive, massive hurdles, right? Like, Like crazy hurdles. And just that, that's a bonkers story. You still pitched after having a panic attack and having thoughts that you wanted to run into a tree. Like it's, it's, and being like physically sick, like your mind has actually got you physically sick, not even like eating the wrong food. Like no. imagine that, like that's yeah. how extreme it can be. Right. But people need to actually realize this. And I'm glad you're open about this because this happens, unfortunately, to so many people that are still not spoken up. Would well, you know what? Important. Do you know what I did? Um, I mean, there's the journey of getting better was, was, wasn't a plain sailing either, mm. but um, I wrote my story a little bit afterwards and I start. I was on the up and I started to feel better and I, my re- reflecting back, I really wanted to start helping people or at least giving a bit of inspiration and saying, this is what happens. It's okay. Blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote my story. Uh, basically what I just told you wrote it out and I posted it on LinkedIn um, with a view to, you know, this happens. And it's quite a brave thing to do, actually, now that I look back on it, because, you know, the world of LinkedIn is a taboo place. Mm-hmm. You are not your, it's probably one of the most false social networks going because mm-hmm. people are in, in work and job mode. They're not comfortable to be their true self. And, um, but I wanted to let people know that this stuff happens. And so I did. I kid you not, it went viral. And probably at the height of it, certainly for like a good four to six week period, I was getting about three to five inbox messages a day from people, mainly men, who were reading my story and saying, that is me, or I know that's my sister, or or, or whatever they were saying, right? And it was like, it opened my eyes to how many people are going through this, but don't talk about it. It was like, it was insane. And it was colleagues, some people in my extended family, friends of friends, total strangers. They're all feeling compelled to say, like, I just want you to know that like, this is me. It's so good that you're saying this. Like, I, I'm not, I'm glad it's not just me, was the, yeah. was the sentiment. Um, I mean, how did that make you feel like getting those kind of messages from those people that were going through what you had been through? I mean, it was, it, was, it was comforting to know that I wasn't this freak of nature and that this is quite a normal thing. I would actually say it's normal, you know? And that's quite a crazy thing to say because we consider normal as someone just going through everyday life without a care in the world and just yeah. getting on with their life. I don't think that is normal. Not, not when you uh, have your eyes open to it and you just see how many people are, are affected by stuff. Um, and yeah, there's, you know there's like a scale isn't there and you know i'm at the extreme scale sometimes there are some people that are a couple of dips a toe in the water but they're still feeling something it's not it's a, it's perfectly normal to not be okay all the time you know yeah, yeah. um yeah. so i was quite inspired by it and it led me to start really thinking about how can i help these people and so um i started the 10 percent project which was at the time a um I basically used my experience of going from I want to kill myself to I'm now a fully functioning adult again and actually starting to thrive in most areas of my life. I sort of documented that and I turned it into a a course. Um, So, and it followed the principle think, um, uh, think body fuel. So uh, how, how to start working on your brain. Uh, and that would be things like creating habits or structuring your day or working from a to-do list and ticking things off and winning the day, all of this brain stuff. Then you've got body, which is, you, you, I, I firmly believe if you want a healthy mind, you have to have a healthy body. So in some way, shape or form, you need to do exercise and you need to look after yourself. And then fuel was one of the big ones, actually, that people don't often think about is, you know, what you're putting into your body really does affect the rest of it. And so... Um, we put together this course myself and a friend and we just we just gave it away for free and it was like a video course it was a 30 day um and it really just designed to 
if you're feeling crap, do these things and almost we guarantee that you will feel better. You not, you might not fix yourself if there is such a term, but you know, this will help. And so we got that out there and it started to blow up. And, um, I guess mental health was super hot at the time. I mean, we were getting messages from ITV saying, would we be interested in an interview on this morning? And we were getting supplement companies, um, messaging us wanting to sponsor it. And I, I didn't want to make money from it. It wasn't about that. And it's just so crazy, actually. All the things I've done in my life, the one time I don't want to make money, I could have easily made it, uh, yeah. which says a lot. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I, and, and for a while, it was a really, really therapeutic thing for me because I was just, uh, um, like I, was, uh, I threw myself into it and it was a real distraction and something that for me helped me get better because I've, I'm being productive, I'm being creative, I'm helping others, I'm focusing on fitness, all of these things that are super important in my life. Um, and so that, that was something that, that really, really helped me. And the reason it doesn't exist anymore is because I came to a junction where I, I couldn't continue to throw so much into it uh, it was starting to affect my day job and the day job has to be important because I need money because I need to live. And so it was, well, if I'm not going to make money from this, I need to start focusing on the day, jo day job a little bit more. I took another job uh, and I made the really um, tough decision to just cancel it and quit. And so I deleted everything. Um, it served a purpose. I felt a bit sad about it, but work had to come first. Yeah. I remember that 10% project. I do remember that. Uh, that, was, that was a cool thing um okay so we've got a few minutes left but i just want to wrap up on what you're doing now uh obviously you've got a big uh, or, or a big mission ahead of you big like journey ahead of you so talk us through what's going on for you now well, i'm in a i'm in a much i'm in a really comfortable place in work um in the sense that i'm doing really well uh I'd, i've learned how to work again and not put so much pressure on myself and i work for an amazing company that really look after their employees and a super um, culture and so um, I've always had this hunger to do something um, we haven't really touched on it too much although I have brought it up a few times but alcohol has always been um, something that's been had a really negative effect on my life I'm not a great drinker uh, I think alcohol and mental health poor mental health is a really bad combo and loads of people relate to that and so I drank a lot through lockdown um, you know, I wasn't drunk every day, but I was, I had a beer by three o'clock and that turns into three or four and the next morning I'm feeling groggy and not myself. And that was continuous throughout May and June. Um, and so I, you know, things, rest restrictions were lifted. I found myself sat in a pub. I'm surrounded by people. They're getting more and more hammered I'm doing shots. I'm listening to their conversations and there's just nothing positive about anything that's being said. Mm. And I just had this weird outer body experience where I looked at it and said, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I just, I just, I'm done with it all. I know I'm going to feel bad. Yeah. I'm not getting anything from this. It's taking more than it's giving. And so uh, I came home and told my long suffering wife that I was giving up alcohol. And she said, yeah, nice one. I'll see you next week. We'll have the same conversation because you've been doing it for the last 20 years of your life. Um, and I downloaded an app uh, that's like sober streak. And so it tells you how many days and how much money you're saving and all of that. Um, and I think now I'm on about 82 days. Um, and the transformation that it's had in such a short period of time, uh, to my life is just insane. Uh, and I realize how much alcohol is holding me back. Mm -hmm. I've lost over a stone. I'm more creative. Um, I'm, spending more time with my family. I'm more present. My work has gone from strength to strength. Um, I, I could, I could sit here all day and tell you how, how great it's been. There've been some negatives as well. And I, I, I'm starting to blog about those and write about those, but I need to replace it with something. That's the problem. Um, it took up such a large, um, sort of, element of my life that that time needs replacing and what I'm now doing is sort of challenging myself and pushing myself to do new stuff so I created what I call a fuck it list um, and that's got everything from fitness challenges to adrenaline to being creative to um, altruism so helping other people I've got all sorts of stuff on there um, and I, as per usual like Rich does I created a brand so it's called Seek More Seek More Life um, and really my goal for the next, I guess, half of my life is to push myself and make myself as uncomfortable as, as possible and show people that, uh, you know, it, 
you, you don't have to be the cool kid and go for drinks when you don't want to. It's okay not to drink. It's okay yeah. to focus on other areas in life and push yourself. Um, and so, yeah, so I, uh, it's, it's new, it's fresh, but I've, um, I've just had my birthday and I got uh, a skydive bought for me. So I'm jumping out of plane three mate, months. It's the best sky. thing. It is the best feeling. Yeah, I did it in Australia, mate. Oh, yeah. What's the feeling? What, a, what an experience. So it doesn't go on the list if, it, if it's the, 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 the criteria for what makes the list. And the, and the list will grow and be added to over time. It's not finite. It, one, is it something that I've been saying I'll do? for like the last 25 years of my life but never done speak yeah. spanish my mates take the mick out of me because i've been saying i want to speak another language i will speak another language and that's Wait, i'm that. taking lessons at the moment i'll pass um, you on my instructor if you want amazing yes do please so if, I, if it's something i've said that i'll do but never done and so i beat myself up because of it that's on the list and if it's something i don't think i can do and makes me uncomfortable that goes on the list and the theory being is that i'm replacing the I don't even know if you'd call it highs anymore, but the highs of alcohol with the highs of self-development and challenging and accomplishment. And so, yeah, I started an Instagram account, a website. Um, I'm blogging about it. And even in the short period of time that it's been live, oh man, it's, again, the messages are starting to come in and people are telling me that they feel inspired. People are telling me that they're going out running. Anyone who knows me knows I can't run. Um, and so I set myself big running challenges and I've been suffering and just, um, yeah. but, but that's the reason is a, it holds me accountable and gives me something to do. But B, if one person sees it and thinks, do you know what, actually I don't need to keep drinking. I wonder what would happen if I did start painting or I did, you know, jump off a bloody cliff or whatever, you know, um, that's what I'm hoping for. It's just that really positive ripple effect in the world. Mate, I think that's like a, 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 a good wrap up because that's exactly, you know, just to inspire or change or help one person is the goal, right? It's always the goal. And it's always been the goal for me. Like the same thing when I do my Instagram account, my coaching, like just to help one person. So all it is, and then you move on to the next and the next and the next. And you'd be surprised that it becomes a ripple effect of how many people you actually can help. And I think it's the same case that maybe back in the day that we were all subconsciously looking for help, but we just didn't be, we weren't able to see it. Right. And it's just like now we we're able to create that. I actually think I put on my, um, my Instagram profile. I've actually changed it. Um, hold on, let me have a look. Oh uh, yeah. Don't wait for inspiration, become it. Yes. That's I, it. I waited for inspiration for so long. Mm -hmm. It's going to come to me, but it never did. It never me too. Did. Mate, me too. I mean, I was, I was exactly the same. I, was always, I would always give you excuses as to why. I would tell you, I could do that, or I'd do that, but I never actually did it. Never and did I, it. I, I, I found that, that alcohol, um, I'm not anti-drinking, bloody hell, I've done enough of it. I'm not even saying that I'll never drink again. Um, it's, it's definitely unlikely, and if I do, it's going to be in a much uh, different way that I was used to. Um, yeah. But for me alcohol held me back from so much what i now do is if i go to an event where i would have drunk or even sometimes when my friends go out and drink and i could have gone i make sure that i wake up at six or seven o'clock the following morning and i'm productive so it's like this compound theory that i've got which is basically not only is it a positive that i'm not waking up with a hangover and destroying my day but I'm actually going to wake up even earlier and do start the day with something even more positive. So I'm really maximizing the decision that I've made not to drink. Um, and you know, does Lisa's head in because I'll be getting up at 7am on a Sunday and waking her up, be like, Oh, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But she'd much rather that than the misery yeah. she used to have to face, which was like a three day affair and just, um, yeah, didn't end well. And so, yeah, for me, it's really, really been destructive. I don't think see, more will be a purely like a pure sobriety brand that's not really what i'm trying to build it's more um you know you can stop doing some of the negative stuff in your life and you can replace mm -hmm. it with some really challenging cool stuff and look how amazing you'll feel um so you know if someone jumps out of a plane because of me then i've done a good job mate that'd be one of the best feelings you've ever experienced i can't wait i've got it i've got the indoor one and the outdoor one so we're doing the indoor one next weekend i get to do that with the kids which would be amazing um and then i've got today i've got to actually book it but um yeah it's it's jumping out of a plane from three miles up 
Um, um, yeah, I can't wait. And then once that's done, God, I've got to think about what the next, what the next you, challenge. After that, you'll be like, oh, I can literally do anything now. Exactly. It's, well, the, it's, first sort of... you, it's the first time you realise that you are in a plane with an open door. It's a yeah. very weird, <laughs> weird, surreal feeling. Have you seen the, um, if anyone's listening to this and they want to see an amazing video, the Will Smith one. Have you seen yeah. the Will Smith one where he jumps out of the plane? With, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate, and, I watched all of the YouTube. It's all on YouTube, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he tells, he's basically on a, I must be doing a stand up or something, but he's telling a story and it's funny. Yeah. But then he gets to the end and he just makes a really amazing point around, he, he talks about fear and the fact that he was scared. But then actually, when he did it, it was Soon amazing. Yeah. And he's just like, and he's, I think he talks about God, but the way, um, yeah, he puts the most amazing things on the other side of your fears. So just get over the fear. And that's when the magic happens. And I guess that's a really nice concept that I'm trying to sort of live by at the moment is push myself. It might be uncomfortable, but imagine that feeling once I've done it. And yeah. so, um, and that's better than ever being drunk. So for me, that's the, that's the goal for the time being. And yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, nice. Do you know what fear stands for? No. False evidence appearing real. Oh, come on. <laughs> Are you False claiming that as your own? It's real, right? It's true. Uh, um and also faith do you know what faith stands for no finding answers in the heart oh lovely we're over time we're gonna end on that um rich thank you so much mate for coming on i really appreciate it um if you've seen value in this and you've got this fine you're still listening and you feel someone else that you know might be going through something similar to rich then please do share this with them share the story because i think that's where we can really get the message out we can really push uh, people finding you know comfort in speaking to someone else who's maybe been through similar experiences uh, any uh, final words uh rich i was gonna say and if they if there are people that listen to this and um it relates like reach out you know, i'm i'm happy to chat yeah you know, it's weird I've, I've met people in costa who i didn't even know who reached out on social media that were struggling with something i just went out a coffee with them like yeah, no. I, know, I, love, I like talking about it so if people have got questions want advice uh yeah connect yeah, I'll put all your links below uh, for your Instagram, your website, everything like that. So you'll be able to find everything Rich is doing, including the blogs. Um, this podcast will also, if, you, if you're sharing this, it, you can also watch the full video podcast on my YouTube channel. I'll put all the links below. Um, but yeah, Richard Williams, thank you so much, mate. Uh, I really appreciate it. I will pass the details to my Spanish teacher. Uh, uh, yeah, compianos, please do. Me compleanos bien de cinco de mayo. There we go. Oh, oh. Me and podcast. Um, right, anyway, I will see you soon, mate. Thanks so much. Cheers, mate. Take care, mate. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Ignite Your Mind podcast. This is a safe place for real talk on discovering powerful stories, talking about mental health, real business journeys, and hearing inspiring stories. Please do subscribe if you are listening to this on Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Podcasts and leave me a comment and more importantly share this with anyone who you think may take value from it i look forward to seeing you next week